So you are listening to 102.3 WHIVLP-FM in New Orleans, and this is the Get Check, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. Doc Griggs got stuck in a little bit of traffic right now, so I'm just going to get started. Uh, today's show, we are uh, going to talk about some uh, interesting uh, medical news, uh, and I'm going to just get started with that, but I think the thing that... Doc Griggs and I are going to talk about uh, at length is this amazing uh, piece of research that came out of Harvard um, this past week looking at push-ups and how push-ups uh, is uh, predictive of uh, cardiovascular health. And then at 10.30, we have a guest uh, that'll be coming uh, who uh, is uh, going to talk to us about this amazing uh, project uh, uh, or uh, social entrepreneurship that he started, uh, uh, which is uh, referred to or called the uh, STEM Library. So I'm really excited to, to hear uh, about that uh, and to uh, hear some of this amazing work uh, that Todd Wackerman, who is the founder and the executive director of uh, STEM Library, uh, is going to come in and talk to us about some of the amazing work that he's doing. So with that being said, let's just get started on some of the medical news uh, that's out there. And of course, uh, uh, as an infectious disease doctor, uh, uh, the first piece of news that we're going to start with is essentially why antibiotics fail in the fight against bacteria. Bacteria. Uh, so let's get started with that. So um, bacteria uh, that are immune to the action of antibiotics have become a primary concern for medical research communities across the world. A new study investigates what makes these superbugs resilient in the face of some of the most potent drugs. Recently on Medical News Today, uh, a study uh, was highlighted uh, uh, the ever-growing uh, crisis of superbugs that are spreading in unexpectedly fast paces around the world. The authors of that study issued a grim warning that if bacteria continue to armor themselves so effectively and at such speed, antibiotics may soon become altogether ineffective against them. And this is why uh, it is incredibly important to understand uh, exactly how these microorganisms fend off drugs that uh, were previously able to work against them. And this knowledge will be uh, the first step in coming up with stronger treatments to fight these so-called uh, stubborn uh, bacterial infections that are resistance. So in this new study, a team of physicists from McMaster University in Hamilton, which is in Canada, uh, has now determined uh, what allows bacteria to repel antibiotics once they become resistant. And the mechanism is somewhat simple, but this is the first time that researchers have investigated and have been able to pinpoint it thanks to some new scientific uh, discoveries. The lead study author, uh, Professor uh, Mackel uh, Reinstadter uh, and his colleagues report uh, in their findings uh, that uh, appeared in the Nature Communications Biology. And the research believes that their discovery could help scientists uh, design more effective drugs uh, to uh, treat uh, infections. So to understand how the stubborn bacteria are able to keep potent antibiotics at bay, the researchers essentially studied in detail the mechanisms that allows one of these drugs to penetrate the bacterial membrane so that it can do its work. And for this study, the researchers looked at a, a specific antibiotic referred to as polymyxin B. And polymyxin B essentially is a soap or a detergent. Um, and uh, it is a uh, antibiotic uh, also in the hospitals. It's known as colistin. Um, and it is uh, essentially kind of a last stage antibiotic that is used 
to treat very stubborn uh, infections. And the research uh, essentially uh, explained that they chose that specific uh, drug because it was used, uh, uh, it used to be the only antibiotic that would work against bacteria that were otherwise resistant to drugs. Like I said, it was an end-stage antibiotic. Um, however, a few years ago, a team of specialists from China found that one bacterial gene make these microorganisms uh, immune to polymyxin. So what we're seeing now is, uh, uh, is the ability for resistance uh, to uh, be generated uh, uh, by uh, bacteria. And so, essentially, uh, the researchers used specialized and sensitive tools that made it possible to analyze the bacterial membrane, and these tools rendered extremely high-resolution images that captured uh, even individual molecules with dimensions at about one, one millionth of the width of a strand of single hair, it's pretty amazing. And so uh, if you take a bacterial cell and then add uh, this drug, of course the drug is polymyxin or colistin, holes will form in the wall acting like a hole puncher and killing the cell. So essentially that's something that has already been known. And so when you take this detergent and, and, and give it to some of these incredibly resistant uh, bugs, what will happen is that uh, the, uh, the uh, polymyxin B kind of punches a hole into the bacterial cell wall. And once a hole is generated in the bacteria, so I'll think about like a submarine uh, being underwater and springing a leak. Uh, you could imagine that that, that, that leak uh, hole in the submarine will cause massive problems because there's a pressure differential that exists. Uh, an atmospheric, at least in this example, there'd be an atmospheric pressure, pressure differential that exists, uh, at least in the ocean and the inside of that submarine. And that causes, uh, of course, would be the, that would spell doom for this, uh, this uh, analogy of a submarine. But the same situation happens inside a cell so when you have a cell in the human body like a bacterial cell um, and you have the bacterial cell wall uh, there are pressure differentials if you think about it the inside of the bacteria pressure is different from the uh, exterior uh, and that has largely to do with the chemical makeup of the inside of the cell versus the outside of the cell in other words what we refer to as the milieu of the of the human being so going back to the paper, there was some debate on how these holes were formed in the first place. So the mechanism by which the antibiotic penetrates the bacterial membrane works as follows. The bacterium, which has essentially a negative charge, automatically pulls in the drug, which has a positive charge, right? So opposites attract, uh, at least in this case of what we're referring to as uh, physiological or bacterial physics. However, when this takes place, the bacterial membranes acts as a barrier against the antibiotic, aiming to prevent it from reaching the bacterium's interior. And under normal circumstances, this is ineffective because the membrane is thin enough for the antibiotic to punch holes in it. However, in the case of the drug-resistant bacterium, the researchers' state-of-the-art technology revealed that the membrane becomes more rigid and much harder to penetrate. And moreover, the bacterium's negative charge becomes weaker, meaning that it is more difficult for the antibiotic to locate and stick to it. So, for example, for the drug, the authors say it's like going from cutting jello to cutting through rock. And this is the first time that the research team has been able to pinpoint these changes with such uh, certainty.
So essentially what we are essentially seeing and, and the take-home message here from this research paper, as well as many that have been coming out in the last couple of years, and I would say even within the last couple of months, is we've been seeing this amazing amount of, uh, of information that bacteria are becoming more resistant. And when you add uh, the fact that we are going to see more resistance happen with um with uh, more, we're going to see more resistance happen with climate change. We're going to see shifting uh, ecological niche, niches. Uh, these are uh, spaces that uh, microorganisms uh, can uh, can take in the environment. Uh, we are going to see much, much more uh, changes and worsening uh, effects. Uh, with respect to uh, uh, antimicrobial uh, resistance. So if you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV LPFM in New Orleans. You are listening to the Get Check, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Dr. Derry. I'm sorry, with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. And there's Doc Griggs. How many push-ups can you do, man? <laughs> we're getting to that story right yeah, now. Story. What is an antimicrobial? Who is that? <laughs> yeah, well, anti-micro. Uh, what is it? Yeah, we, you need an antimicrobial. I'm not I don't have a microbial. You need an antimicrobial. Why does it gotta be You need to be what anti microbial. You need to be antimicrobial for time. Yeah, is what we need yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So uh, this is this is without question. Uh, I've got I've got I've got lots of stories. You want to talk about inflammation in midlife hastens cognitive decline. You yeah. want to talk about yeah. uh, how about uh, I like the English version, please. <laughs> All right, ability to do push-ups may predict cardiovascular risk. So sit down, everybody, because uh, the jokes were coming fast. I did fifty this morning. Oh, you did not. I did. You did 51 on your knees? No, I did 50. <laughs> you did, did 50. there's no way you I did 50. All right, yeah, you did 50. Were did you 50. counting like 50 no. centimeters no, from no. the... <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, don't worry, we're no, gonna... No, no, don't do it yet. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. We're gonna, we're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Let's just do the story first, yeah. and then yeah. we yeah. we will be hitting the ground. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. All right, so a new study yeah. suggests that the more push-ups a man is able to complete, the lower his cardiovascular risk and vice versa. Yeah. These findings may establish a new measure of risk assessment that is simple and does not require costly uh, specialized equipment. Yeah. So just to go over uh, the basics here, um, the World Health Organization, and this is uh, this is a cardiovascular. Is, oh, uh, hey Todd, come come on in. This is uh, the uh, this is Heart Healthy uh, Month, isn't it? Isn't this the this um, is Heart Month? This is, is Heart, heart month. month. So the World Health Organization data indicates that every year there are 17.9 million deaths due to cardiovascular diseases, accounting for approximately 31 percent of global deaths. Think about that: 30, one third of people around the globe die of heart disease. So that's a good and bad thing. It used to be that a majority of people also died of uh, infectious, infectious diseases, disease. but what we're seeing now is that uh, the we're seeing people uh, live uh, uh, longer and they're dying of uh, more inflammatory-oriented uh, uh, diseases. So many of the factors that increase the risk of coronary vascular disease are modifiable, chiefly an unhealthy diet, lack of physical activity, smoking, or frequent consumption of alcohol. And the link between exercise, particularly physical fitness and coronary vascular disease, is therefore not a new one. But assessing physical fitness in relation to cardiovascular risk, such as cardiac exercise tests or stress tests, are costly and take some amount uh, and time to do. But a new finding from Harvard School of Public Health may allow physicians to estimate more easily based simply on a person's capacity to complete multiple push-ups. Oh, I can't wait to see you do this. Oh, 50 push-ups. Todd, how many push-ups do you want? You could do. Um, 
At least five. Okay. All right. And th- this man's an athlete too. He's a, he's a vice. We'll, we'll introduce Todd in a second. But the results, which appeared in JAMA, uh, and is accessible online, uh, and I did read it. Uh, in uh, I was up last night, and I was thinking about this. So I decided I was just going to go to the source instead of read a summary. Uh, showed uh, essentially that uh, uh, what they did is they looked at uh, fifteen hundred firemen, yeah. right, between the ages of twenty two and sixty six. At the by the end of the study, they followed them for ten years. By the end of the study. What they did is they had about 1,100 of them left. And those that were able to complete 40 push-ups uh, within, uh, at the start of the study and at the complete of the study were, uh, had a 96% decreased likelihood of heart disease when compared to the men who were not able to do the 40 push-ups. But even 10 push-ups had a protective effect as well. So if you were able to do 10 push-ups, there was a protective so, effect. So that I squarely fall under that category of 10 push-ups. About, but so, Griggs so, tells me he could do 50, so, so I, I doubt that highly. So questions about yes. studies. So and this is something that we got into on Fox two, three weeks ago. Okay. Um, we need to go over how when people hear studies, what are you listening for to make sure um, that you're not hearing it from quack.com? <laughs> Well, they're not talking about vitamins. They're not so talking they're, about vitamins. There so go. that's, that's there's a, a good thing. They're, they're not anti-vaxxers. They're not anti-vaxxers. So that's right, an, that's right, another right, one. That's very real. That, vitamins and anti-vaxxers. That's you'll find that on quack.com. Quack.com. Uh, uh, but so yes, you want re- reputable look, reputable news sources. World Health so Organization. JAMA. JAMA. Uh, Journal of Medical. CDC. CDC. NIH, uh, Harvard. Uh, New England Journal, New England Journal, Annals of Internal Medicine, uh, any of the major like the Hopkins. Right. Well, Hopkins, of course, but any of the major uh, journals that reflect society. So like the Journal of Infectious Diseases reflects the Infectious Disease Society of America, the Family Practice Journals, like anything that is. Listen, here's a peer reviewed article. Yeah, that's essentially. And what is what does that mean when we say peer peer reviewed? That's meant it's been read, reviewed and critiqued and picked apart by your colleagues, other other researchers, other doctors, um, other people within the profession. The other thing that you want to look at too, though, is you want to look at this thing. It's called your, we call it an N. We want to make sure you're not just talking about five people that did eight push-ups a piece. Right. Uh, you want to look at the quality of study and the number of people that participated. Right. right? The N is essentially the sample size. Right. So you can, the, the N and the, the letter that we are saying is N as in number. N is, N is in it's number. the number of people. And number of push-ups. You know, what's funny is, so we had this, this prompted a discussion. So, if you can do 40 push-ups and that lengthens your life, does that mean when I should run from the pull-up bar? Because <laughs> yeah, the pull-up bar is the exact <laughs> the pull-up opposite, bar, dude. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, every every pull-up, dude. Every I say keep doing pull-ups because you're gonna probably uh, check out quicker, check right? Out quicker, right? Now, and my, my wife was saying she's doing push-ups. She always feels like the ground is coming at her much faster because I mean, she feels like dumbest she's, exercise on the planet. When you really think, what what happens hey. if you push on the floor and it moves? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. then, then you're uh, you're on an elevator, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> then stop doing push-ups so, on so an does elevator. Is the study valid if I do push-ups on an elevator? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here, <laughs> see, here we go. The more push-ups you can do, the better. In the current over study, what period of time, though? That's the thing. Well, they didn't. They didn't. So they say, didn't say. So what? No, no. What they did is they no, no. They set up a metronome and they set the metronome up at eighty. I don't know no metros. <laughs> come on, man. A, met, every, a metro. Everybody, no, no. Th- th- come on, man. 
A metronome, common listener. All right, a metronome is a um, is a device you that can't keeps explain t- it to your four year old. You don't that, know it. That, that keeps time for um, usually musicians yep. usually use a metronome, and it's basically it's a common it's a piece that uh, it's their software. Uh, it holds the beat. It yeah, it keeps the time. And as for example, for myself, as somebody who plays bass, I play with the metronome all the time to make sure that Doc I'm is always the first dude on I've the, ever seen clap off rhythm with no rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> there was no beat, and he still missed it. <laughs> you are such a dick. <laughs> All right. I'm a bass player, and two, dude. And yes, yes, you are, not a percussionist. <laughs> I'm killing him. I, I'm killing dude, him. Dude, at least I can keep time by showing yeah, up on time. Right. Oh. <laughs> that was a pull-up. That was definitely a pull-up. That was a pull up. All right. So they set up the metronome, right? They set up a metronome yeah. uh, so that it's, uh, it, it hits at 80 beats per minute. And so people were basically doing the push ups uh, at. So the metronome was set up at. So 80 beats is like. That's probably 80 beats per minute right there. Yeah. So, uh, so and then the they were up. able to keep the, and then they had to maintain, uh, their timing of the push up with that, with the metronome. And so what they did is they, they said that there was a fail. If they fell out of time with the that's metronome, your that's, that's, your, your that's your malaria. Right no, no, there. that's your, your that's your, there, there's your malaria right there, dude. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> there, there it is right there. So if you get bitten by that, that, that malaria mosquito, you're gonna see imaginary snakes that tell you not to pee on their foot. <laughs> that's gonna hop on the back, hop on the back of an All elephant right. and swim up river. Keep going. In the current study, which is probably the first of its kind, the research team collected and analyzed health information from 1,100 active male firefighters with the mean age of 40 and a mean BMI of 28.7. So BMI is the right, 28.7. BMI is, is obese. The, the body yeah, mass index. Body mass index. Yeah. That's it. So uh, so 28.7 is body kind mass of like, would beat like this. <laughs> yeah. Here's how. <laughs> Here's how <laughs> Griggs keeps the beat. Uh, the data covered uh, 10 years, like we said, uh, 2020-10. At the beginning of the study, researchers measured the push-up capacity and the sub-maximal treadmill exercise of each uh, participant. They had him fill out a questionnaire. <laughs> sub-maximal treadmill exercise, which means right. they failed. And <laughs> so, they, uh, so the analysis revealed that participants who had been able to complete over 40 push-ups to begin with had a 96% lower cardiovascular risk than men who completed 10. 96%? Lower cardiovascular. I mean, that's risk almost of what? Of cardiovascular of of, of heart of, disease. So so are they? So saying, they were less likely to have a heart attack. Who's the control? Who did some? Who had the control? Con- the control. Did, how was long did they follow them? Ten years, and the control was got the it, men who it, didn't, it, dude, right, who right, right, weren't right, able right, right, to right, do. Right, the, no, no, I missed the follow. They followed them for ten years. So yeah, they followed them for ten. So they basically yep. had their own control. Yep. So they basically had eleven hundred guys. Those guys that can finish forty push-ups, and those guys that can finish less than ten. But they didn't measure diet. They didn't measure any of the no, other, no smoking. Well, they they, no they did, but none of that was co-founders. No, none of them. None of them were. There was no co-founders at all. And so what they found was was guys that were, and these were firemen, so these were these were fit people. They had, the BMI was normal BMI, whatever normal is. 30 is obese, 28, ain't, that's, that's, that's normal. higher end of normal. Well, that's normal. LeBron's BMI is like 30. Yeah, have you been, yeah. Well, if they're going to use that, though, so, it, so mine might be 30. So as to the average guy walking the street might be 30. 
Yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. Like that was the the normal kind of what whatever is considered. Uh, what other fitness? Well, there's a anyway. Whole lot of, so yeah. before we introduce talk, because we we we're uh, we're gonna do a push up off uh, right now, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, so I I want to count fifty push ups right now. So let's see. So right I wanna, now, oh, I want to count your ten. All right, here's my ten right now. So, folks, for description purposes, he's moving all of the potential dangerous objects out of the way, like chairs. All right, you ready? You want to see ten? You know, it's very normal to knock over a chair. Now he's got to take off his shirt. Yeah, now now he's taking off his shirt. Now the danger comes out, right? He pulled him out, and that's one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight. Put your butt down. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. There we go. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Peace mode. Woo! <laughs> 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 now no, the danger was he took his. If y'all got this, folks, be glad that we don't have a visual. <laughs> Drop them. All right, let's see your let's 50. Put this. Let's see what we got. Let's see. All right. Let's see what we got. Griggs is on. One, two. No, 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 no. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Dude. Dude, no. Like, I did, like. Yeah, all the way up, all the way down. Yeah. Yeah, there was no. I did like full on, full. How much more, how much more well, you now. Why don't you? Why don't you reset? Yeah, dude, those were like. No, so dude, how much that was, more straight do my arms Well, that was. So you had to you had to go to a 90 degree angle. How much more straight do you get on this angle, too? That would, I was right. not on the angle. Yeah. So what are you doing? Dude, do? you want to try? Right. Wait, wait, wait. We're going we're gonna to get Todd on in a yeah. second. You want to try? To 14. To face 14. Yeah. <laughs> so you do realize what I do for a living, right? <laughs> yeah. Wait. Do what you do. All right. Let's, let's see. see. And, let's and, talk and, a little bit. And Todd's a. Let's see what he got. Twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. I mean, there's some hip movement there, but that's fine. Yeah, Thirty-one, we'll thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you come on to get shake it, fit it moving. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> get moving. Let's do this. Woo. If you're tuning in, you are listening to 12.3 WHIV, and we are uh, doing, this is the Get Check, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. That's Doc Griggs. I'm Dr. Derry, and let's bring on Todd 
uh, Wackerman so that we can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Todd Wackerman is the founder and director of STEM Library Lab, a local equipment share resource center in New Orleans. He taught physics and a variety of other STEM subjects at public schools in New Orleans and Brooklyn from 2010 to 2016. Todd received his MBA from Tulane's Freeman School of Business and an MAT in science uh, education from the University of New Orleans and his BA from Boston College in political science and history. He feels most comfortable when surrounded by books or trees, and I would imagine uh, push-ups as well. He uh, once finished 11th to last in the Boston Marathon. That's uh, very sweet that you would put that on there. Prior to teaching, he worked uh, as a program manager and project coordinator for corporate volunteerism at two nonprofits and has extensive volunteer experience with local nonprofits, including Crescent City Farmers Market, Youth Run NOLA. Todd has worked in various roles in schools and universities all across the country, including California, Massachusetts, Louisiana, and New York. Building from these experiences, he's excited to be founding the STEM Library Lab and helping teachers to improve the quality of their classroom experience. Uh, STEM Library Lab is a nonprofit uh, equipment share resource center that lends STEM materials and offers support to teachers and schools. Their mission is to foster academic success and by providing teachers and students with access to equipment and support for high quality active learning. And they work to ensure that every student has the opportunity to discover their passion for STEM and pursue higher future. More information can be found at Facebook at STEM Library Lab, as well as Instagram.com, STEM Library Lab. Welcome, uh, Todd, as we were all somewhat out of breath. I, uh, I'm st- I, uh, you just got to move the microphone, talk directly. Yep, there you go. Welcome to WHIV, and uh, we did not expect you to do push-ups, but you had just totally, I totally s- yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you totally schooled us. So, so. So well, <laughs> I happen to work with Dr. Mackey, and I work with STEM NOLA. Yep. I happen to be there the night, I guess, what did you, you did a pitch? Uh, yeah, at, pitch at, NOLA. At Propeller. Um, know quite a bit about you. Talked extensively about, with Dr. Mackey about you before you came in. Tell us about your program, um, and give us your, give us your perspective and pitch and what drove you to, to start this. Yeah, so as, as you learn in that, um, now I know insanely long-winded bio, <laughs> winded bio that I sent you. <laughs> Which turns out was good because I'm still out of breath. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry that we made you do push-ups beforehand. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's good to know. One thing that you need to be very clear about is that you may not hit the 96% mark, but you're definitely, I would say, at 92%. 92. At like 37. Okay. Can we easy, say he did like 30, 30? Yeah, yeah. yeah he did about, you did about yeah. 37 push-ups. Uh, so, and that, then plus you did And that a, number can get you did a, larger. You did, larger. did a clap. You, you did, did a clap. clap. You did yeah. a clap. That gave you definitely two more. So maybe that bumps you to 39. <laughs> okay. So you're about 96%. So, so I want to get back to what prompted you to yeah. create the space. So I, uh, I was a high school science teacher in New Orleans for several years before deciding to stop. And basically, the motivation was I wanted to do cool science with students. I had a lot of labs that I was excited to do, that I was interested in doing, and the equipment for it is just prohibitively expensive. Some of these labs, to buy the equipment that you'll use for a day or two days, is going to cost like $4,000. And so there's no way in the world that anyone should sign off on that. That when, you, when you're a school leader and you're looking at how to spend $4,000, spending it on a lab that lasts a day isn't a good decision. But at the same time, if you only need these things for a day, then we figured if we created a library where people could just borrow them, then you check it out for the time you need it, you give it back when you're done, and someone else can use it for the 363 days a year that it's sitting idle. So we just started imagining this. Um, probably two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. just started telling people, hey, we've got this idea. It's going to be a big room full of science equipment. And over the last two and a half years, we researched, we piloted, we built it, 
and uh, whew, still a little out of breath there. Yeah, huh? I'm so sorry, um, Tyler. I should have had cardio. you. And, uh, yeah, yeah, this is definitely cardio. cardio. <laughs> you and, guessed uh, <laughs> it. Because yesterday when Griggs and I were talking, we we're like, how do push-ups do it? Yeah. And Griggs was like, it's probably, this is an yeah. intense cardio. cardio. Yeah, plus it was, you know, the 40-mile the run that I did this morning. and 40-mile? Yeah, right. One mile. Oh. Yeah, right. right <laughs> sorry, right, pardon right, me. Right, 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 no, 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 41 mile. No, no, no one mile. One you mile. did a one mile. Okay. That's yeah, right. Yeah. I was like, holy. You started r- running last night. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, so in August, we opened this space, and it's now located inside a Bricolage Academy, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a big room full of science classroom equipment so that local teachers who are like, I want to do this oh, cool lab can come it. borrow it. Yeah, because I've gone to talk to the Bricolage at the... Um, Change makers or the yeah. uh, the innovators the Bricko Radio maybe or well uh, the Bricko Radio has a show on yeah. WHAV right. so they produce content that Cutest comes content up. ever yeah it's great so they're <laughs> on Saturday mornings and uh, and uh, last time that we we I tuned in I was listening to them describe their video games was incredibly sweet yeah. so it, it, it's interesting in the STEM space so it's STEM Nola I'm the life sciences director um, so ex- done, explain st- like STEM Nola is different STEM Nola is we bring STEM to the community STEM is STEM Science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, the A is implied. <laughs> the reading is implied, even though people try to say stream right. and steam. You can't read. You can't do STEM. There's a creative aspect for what we create and what we analyze as scientists, as we all know. So there's the arts. But people got to do what they got to do to get paid, right? Uh, STEM NOLA brings people, brings STEM to the communities. We've engaged 26, 27,000 kids in the last five and a half years. Matter of fact, yesterday it's with STEM NOLA, we, uh, there's a, we have a facility now in New Orleans East. We hosted, it's an amazing facility. We have an inventory and we hosted the uh, AT&T. They're trying to revitalize the East. So we're bringing a space, again, uh, where people can come and have classes. They can do STEM uh, at the facility, professional development, you name it. Um, but we go to the, we partner with the Nord facilities. We've gone over, all over the country. Uh, I actually do a, uh, well, we do heart day, a lung day, and I created a get check, get fit, get moving module um, where we do things like dance, uh, teach them an activity, a heart song, a lung song. Then the kids actually build. That's the science of it, right? Calvin and I, Dr. Mackey and I go back and forth about engineers versus uh, doctors. Dr. Mackey has four STEM degrees. Uh, in our staff alone, which is crazy, like five, six people, there are like 16 STEM degrees. Jeez. Everything from a PhD so to like an MD. So like we're talking engineering. Yeah, this is, but uh, you're, you're getting it, and it's math. child-centered, adult-governed, and elderly-ruled. Um, you'll see on Fox 8 every uh, Friday now, I brought STEM NOLA on, and we have uh, what's called STEM, STEM NOLA Fridays, where we had the kids actually explaining the experiments. Uh, this past Friday, we, had bio, uh, we did luminescence. Uh, and they built Mardi Gras floats. The kids built Mardi Gras floats, and they did the remote control. And we explained luminescence and where it might occur um, in nature, the whole nine. My point is that it's it's good that there are allies in this STEM space um, because it's needed on on different levels. Typically, whenever before, as you know, when people would say STEM, they would think robotics, and that it's like that's all there was to it. But there's science abounding, and not everyone has access to the resources to be able to teach, which is where. Um, STEM the, library. STEM yeah. library and I think in. a lot of people, like you're saying, they hear the word STEM and they're not entirely sure how to differentiate all of the things they hear yep. the acronym associated with because there's STEM NOLA, there's STEM Library Lab. There are a number of organizations that are basically education focused organizations and nonprofits. That and there's do no competition. STEM, right? we're, we're trying to reach people. And what's fantastic about it is can. exactly <laughs> that, that STEM NOLA does these beautiful workshops and they'll bring students in. Uh, and set up an activity or a lesson that students do on a Saturday or a Friday. And STEM Library Lab does something completely different where we are entirely interfacing with teachers 
still with the goal of helping students, of course, because at the end of the day, we're giving our equipment to teachers who are then putting it into their classrooms to help students. Creating an ecosystem of STEM. The goal of all of this is for kids to be able to look at their surroundings, kind of like we kind of did growing up, and figure out the who, the how, the why, without taking the refrigerator, the back off the refrigerator to see if the light's on when the door's closed right. or, or blowing up, <laughs> taking the... the, the a Mentos. Yeah, you blow the Coke bottle. Uh, for, me, for me, dude, it has to be the same for you because you're older than I am. Uh, yeah, it was, was Pop Rocks and Coke. Pop Rocks oh, yeah. and Coke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mentos. Oh, yeah. Mentos. And yeah. the Mentos. That's Catching, we would catch, before we, I hate to say it, but before we would dissect frogs at school, we would go to the creek. I know, I hate to say it. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, yeah, no, yeah, we just get them can. and see what's in there. Like, oh, what is that? Jesus. I mean, it's horrible, but. So what is, so what was the first piece of equipment you guys started with? Well, the, let's see. So. And how did you start with funding? Yeah. So we had this problem where we, we said, we're going to start a library full of science equipment and now we need a lot of money. So we went around <laughs> yeah. to people and we were like, Hey, you, you got money for this? Yeah. Right. Give us some money. And they were like, well, we don't want to give you any money until we see that you have some sort of a program or impact. And we're like, but we can't until we get, get equipment. the money right um, yeah. welcome so to we the world of nonprofits for a little while no 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 and so um we eventually landed on what we called the pilot which was basically we went around to schools and we invited 20 teachers from all across new orleans different schools to borrow anything that they wanted. And we put 1,500 items online in our mm -hmm. online inventory. And we said, you can have anything you want and we'll buy it as soon as you ask for it. Yep. So instead of having to buy everything up front, for this small group of teachers, we just bought a couple of things. So what, the, was the, what are the things up front that see. people so the need? First, we bought uh, a balance. I think it might have been the first thing that we bought. And then so we bought, a school doesn't have a balance. Yeah. So this was a double pan no, no, balance and a, it was for an elementary there's, school. There's something deeper than that. Keep going. There's something um, deeper than that. What's okay. This? So... The next thing we bought was called a gravity well, and it's a five-foot hula hoop covered in spandex, mm -hmm. um, and you drop Kinda bowling like balls. And <laughs> <laughs> you took his shirt off. You, right, saw yeah, yeah. you saw that, right? You yeah. saw the, the muscle <laughs> bulging, didn't you? Similarities are striking. <laughs> <laughs> No. You see, that was the second thing that came to mind, right? Yeah, Griggs was like, Todd, you're back. You go back to WHIP and eat um, So, yeah. So, um, he's so still out of breath. Well. So, he's still out of breath. Those yeah, three right? seven push-ups. Um, so, I think that was the second thing we got. And this well, thing is on, so What cool. is a gravity well? Just so, a gravity quickly. well is basically, it's the fabric of space-time. Mm -hmm. So, when you drop a bowling ball or a tennis ball or different objects onto the spandex, it bends like you would see. I, oh. I can't. It's hard to explain, but it's one of those pictures that you would see, like on a sci-fi movie, mm -hmm. right? Right. I don't know, like in Tron or something right, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's this really amazing visualization of how different masses create different amounts of gravity, Effects, right. uh, and it's also really fun to play with spandex and bowling balls. Right. Um, <laughs> Have you not seen my pecs? <laughs> Keep them up, Doc. We're trying to stay on the air. Right. Here. <laughs> um, my eyes. <laughs> And so the third thing that we got was a was a it was a CO2 sensor. So a like specialty device that you plug into your computer and it gives you a graphical readout of how much CO2 is in the room. So it was actually really cool I guess that our first three things were just like this wildly disparate array of stuff. So right. that that was the point that I was getting to. So you have teachers that do science, technology, engineering and math and you automatically assume because oh you're a physics teacher and that's not what he wants. <laughs> he wants something else because there's so much more out there so it's it, it's just interesting to see the first thing you would think oh can we get a microscope can we get well that would have just assumed a microscope would have been the first thing right but, but it's I exactly would imagine that the, that. In, the yeah. internet is 
you know, you could pull anything that you would look at a microscope, you could probably do with a virtual. So, well, and what you'll find in schools right now is you'll basically find like six mismatching microscopes and a bunch yeah. of broken triple beam balances. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. And yep. so, and, and probably a lot of glassware. But when you want to do your microscope lab, you also want like 12 microscopes that are identical because you don't want to have to go back and forth with these slightly different models. Oh, right. So it still it's works that when a school wants right. to borrow things for a lab like a microscope lab, you can still see that value um, checking right. out identical items from us. But the right. deeper yeah. is the, the teachers wanted more for the students. This, because there's so much life that exists outside of the curriculum in the school, and that's what you're trying to get. Uh, having taught and having working with these kids, watching the light bulbs yep. go off. It's just light bulbs are light bulbs are light bulbs. So when you see a teacher, you're like, wait, you want what? Yeah, you can see it really well in our circuits lab that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, the light bulb goes right off there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. right. But I will say, right. I mean, so we've got this library now. And basically, we use this pilot to, to convince some family foundations from around the area to give us funding to buy equipment. So now we've got this beautiful room full of equipment. And we think that we have successfully solved one problem, which is access. So now a teacher that wants access stuff. Access for teachers. Access for teachers to get stuff for their classroom. So a teacher that wants to do a cool lab now can. Mm -hmm. So the do problem, they, and, and uh, go ahead, please. Well, continue. the problem that we're now working on solving is support because just because you have the stream table, the groundwater model, the vernier probes accessible to you doesn't mean you know how to use them, doesn't mean that you have the time to implement them, doesn't even mean that you know they exist. So, so the second problem that we're working on is solving this problem of how do we support teachers in creating more quantity and definitely higher quality of lessons that go into their classrooms. Well, that, that reach because the teachers have to teach this common core and they have to teach to these certain points. So how do you creatively work that into their model without them miss, missing their, their mark? Yeah, and what you'll find right now is there's this long conversation about these new standards that are really intense and rigorous and they actually sound like they are a good thing. They're called the next generation science standards. Mm -hmm. But as we move from the old standards to these next generation science standards, it's not actually happening in our classrooms mm -hmm. yet. The quality of science isn't there yet. And it's partly because, I mean, at the lower grades, you're getting teachers that are teaching science, but they might have been a communications major or a history major, and now they're teaching environmental science, and they don't know how to do it. And they are wonderful, and they want to know, but they don't have the time in the day to figure that out. So we're working on how do we meet teachers where they are to give them the support they need to do these cool science experiments. And also, if you do a lab for the first time, hmm. uh, it's tough. And chances are it's going to go poorly. And you're going to leave that experience going, this was no fun at all. I don't want to spend six extra hours planning in order to have a day that goes really poorly. So we're working on how do we work with teachers to make sure that they understand here are the things that are different about a lab as opposed to your everyday science class. That's a support, you that's a support yeah. part because typically they'll come and want to do something. I see it. They'll want to do a lab. And it's just them. And they've never done it before either. Right, yeah. right. Well, especially uh, teachers that are communications uh, majors and now are teaching life sciences. If you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is the Get Check, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. I'm, Doc, I'm Dr. Derry. That's Doc Griggs. Today, uh, we have uh, with us uh, Todd Wackerman, uh, who is the executive director and founder of STEM Libraries Lab. So are you like, so to a certain degree, I would imagine, uh, well, first of all, let me just say that next generation, was it next generation science? Yes. Is, is that, is that a kitschy name? Was that named because of the Star Trek the, next generation? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the science version of common core, mm -hmm. which right. is like so, what's being adopted across the nation. And Louisiana adopted the their own fighting. version. That's yeah. the Louisiana 
student standards it, in science. What do you think of it? Is it good? What's your opinion mm. on it? Yeah. I mean, I think it has the potential to be good. What it does is it, the previous standards were basically memorize or know these pieces of content. Um, and the next generation science standards are be able to apply some amount of content knowledge in context. So it, it'll say like students have to be able to design an experiment that blank incorporates or a analyze data. Criti critical thinking. Yeah. And that, well, that's cool. And so I mean, it, that, we like, didn't have just, that in science yeah. class or at least probably not until we were seniors, if even that. And yeah, so we, it has real potential. It's just that if you don't teach don't your teachers that. how to do that, then they don't so know do how. So do you find yourself now teaching the teachers? I mean, do you see... So that's the you, whole point of yeah. what they're right. doing. Right, I mean, are you finding yourself kind of setting up what the the curriculum is ultimately looking like? Because you have... You're the keeper of yeah. the information to a certain degree. So there are a lot of large organizations that have responded to this need for curriculum to go along with these standards. There's money in um, curriculum. And STEMNOLA is one of those that is mm -hmm. working on building that out. Um, Hold on, Ex explain, you guys just had a conversation amongst yourselves. <laughs> what, what, what did you guys just share amongst yourselves that I missed? So the way that this works is uh, a, a for-profit company designs, or a non-profit company non right. designs STEM a curriculum. non-profit. And right. you, can, right. um, you can, I guess, market that market out to schools. Mm -hmm. And then you sell the peripherals that go with it? Right. Yeah. So if you, you a for-profit entity would create a curriculum and then sell, that they would make their money not only on the purchase of the curriculum, but they would make their money on all the peripherals that would right. go and, with and that curriculum. And of course, curriculum. it's also yeah. yeah. it doesn't for have to be for-profit. Same thing, it doesn't have to be for-profit. The, the deal is there's no, the, the curriculum, the curriculum that's needed now, considering the fact, so th let's, this, we took a really, a much larger conversation um, that you can attest to other countries are light years ahead of us uh, oh, when it comes to definitely. educating their kids yeah. in India, science, China. technology, yes. engineering, and math. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact. We don't talk about it, and yes. we pat ourselves on the back, but we yes. are behind. Yes, yes. We're way behind. Yes. So the curriculum to catch up doesn't really exist in a way that it needs to the the what what the a lot of the things that they're trying to give the kids and they're trying to do this are trying to fit into this box that they've been doing for years and it doesn't work yeah and that's where the collaboration comes in from the other ideas and especially the people that have the experience to put it together and and show them this is this is this is this what this works and this is why right. and the yeah. tough part is because it hasn't been done before it's tough to get any funding for it because people need to see it first yeah, and I would say, I mean, we describe, or I, I like to think that in a sense, STEM Library Lab is the anti-curriculum because we are not telling anyone, here's what you should do with these materials. If a teacher wants to walk in, borrow the, the CO2 sensor, and walk out without saying more than six words to us, they can do that. We, right, we, but, we but, want most, them to talk but to us. obviously most people are going to... Right, I but mean, most if, people don't want that. Most people want some help learning how to use things course, and playing with things. Right. And also, of course. what we do after that teacher borrows is we invite them to give us the lesson that they just used, mm -hmm. and then we put that online. So now any other teacher in the area that would to like it. to can both borrow that's the lesson course, and get brilliant. the materials. Yes, that's it, great. It, it really reminds me of my sixth and seventh grade experiment. Once we took first time we took physical science, and uh, we realized we could blow stuff up whenever <laughs> we had a, a substitute teacher. Our teachers started realizing that. So we had a day where we blew stuff up. And I mean, they, she totally changed, but she taught the same lessons. Um, and we had a ball and we couldn't wait to go to class. And because we responded that way, she would be creative and do another thing. I had the same thing with yeah. my math teacher. Math, all of a sudden we had an entire class. I was on the math team from seventh grade all the way to 12th grade because Mrs. Cook, Becky Cook decided to enroll our whole class in a math competition. And we had a ball and it changed everything. So it's, it's, what it's doing at STEM Labs, the STEM NOLAs, is creating a, 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 an opportunity for scientists 
to be non-pragmatic and to be able to really create. That's the whole art of it, right? Yeah. I mean, and that, that is the idea is that you have the flexibility to do whatever it is that you want and what appeals to your students this year might be different from what appeals to them next year. Um, I mean, the idea more than anything else. And creating I, a support system. Well, and, and I think, Griggs, you described it perfectly in, in your story about how you became a doctor was when you saw a person who was dying of AIDS. You yeah. emotionally responded. And when you were in science class, you emotionally responded to things blowing up. And mm-hmm. so, the you know, I think the problem in science, and I'm not an educator, I'm an adult educator for a teacher of people learning medicine, but not an educator in the sense that the two of you have uh, experience in, but trying to get, especially with the sciences, it's hard to get kids to understand uh, what the sciences look like. I remember in organic chemistry, I took organic chemistry at a time when the biggest uh, uh, boon in organic chemistry world was when you took like little balls or grapes with toothpicks and you stuck other toothpicks in them and you Mm -hmm. created what a boat molecule looks like or what a chair molecule looks like but that was the closest you could get to visualize those things and the stem sciences were relegated to young people or kids or whatever that could see visualize that things in their head that most other kids couldn't see at, mm-hmm. at that age. Am I, am I right on that? And so by bringing, you're able to bring science. To, so when you have the hula hoop gravity, you can see the concept more clearly uh, than you could just trying to draw it on a, on, a, on a chalkboard. I think it does, it certainly does that. It does so many things because partly it's you want to visualize to conceptualize. Partly it's when you engage with science and then you yes, enjoy it yes of course and now you want yes, to learn it more. yes that's well, and it's the it goes back to so going through our education in med school it was see one do one teach one right you watch and then you do you know when the first time you have to thread a central line and it gets sucked down <laughs> <laughs> into that subclavian and yeah. then you, and it's your had, fault Griggs had that problem a lot did you no I yeah. saw no I saw someone do it one time you didn't have to worry about it nope taking my time I'm good I'm good but it's it's experience we're all experiential learners you know your audios and the video, all that other stuff we all learn from experience yes. and this is giving people what you're doing is giving we're giving students on the ground in their community the ability to to experience these things you're giving teachers the ability not only to experience but to create experiences and with all your you're eliminating the fact that you can't say you don't have access to it yeah and you're also hitting on another point which is i think really important to us which is we have a short-term teacher problem in new orleans Mm. what does that mean more than half of our teacher workforce has been teaching for less than five years okay and so they're not here for short term they are or maybe they are here short term as well i I think a lot of them are leaving the classroom after their first two three four years don't even touch on that yeah well but what we're trying to do (laughs) yeah yeah is we're trying to empower teachers (laughs) to enjoy teaching more right so when teachers get to plan cool lessons that go well, they're more excited about stick about sticking around. When they're so it's the law of public speaking and communication, right? You want to engage, you engage your engage your audience, excite them around your topic, empower them, but you want to connect emotionally with your audience, be it one three people doing push-ups and telling jokes, right. or be right. a classroom full that you see every day. Or the when teachers you, that are or more like connected, what you do with, or yeah, the, when the, you do prostate, prostate health, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, is the same thing, right. but but being able to connect and having to stand in front of a group of people, especially that have no filter kids, well, you know, that don't like you every day yeah. because you haven't connected is tough, yeah. So it's you know, it's, I mean, for me, I know that the best days in my classroom were oftentimes actually the day after the lab 
when we would get around in a circle and we would discuss what happened and be able to hear students reflect on what they were doing. That to me was the part that like really reinvigorated me wanting to teach yeah. and not getting to do enough cool science. I didn't have that experience nearly enough, which is why I decided to leave and start the nonprofit to help others do it. And so what kind of feedback are you getting? For, about this about organization? The, yeah, yeah, I mean um, like about like when teachers come back and like I mean, I'm sure you yeah. must have an internal evaluation we mechanism, ask right? a few questions of our teachers after they borrow and one of them is, did you enjoy your experience? Was it a good experience? And we've got, you know, 100% yes on that, which is exciting. Um, another is, would you recommend this? And we've got 100% of people that borrow mm -hmm. from us say they would recommend it to a friend. And the third one that I actually really am excited about is we asked the question, would you change future lessons to incorporate more materials from STEM Library Lab? And we're at about a 98% response rate that say teachers who are borrowing from us are excited to take what they've done so far and build upon it and do more engaging, rigorous, inquiry-based science. So that to That's me is really the metric exciting. that really matters right. is are we changing the culture around teaching to bring more engaging opportunities into our classrooms? And is there anybody yeah, else around the country doing this? There's a few. Um, so we actually, before we opened this, we, we drove around the country and we looked at about eight different spaces that were doing similar work. Um, and all of them told us, you know, we went into their space and they were all beautiful. They had these rooms full of science equipment. And they all told us across the board, we are not operating at capacity. We have way more stuff in our library than we have teachers borrowing it. And so from the very beginning, we've known we want to not have that problem. Mm. And truthfully, we're a young organization, and right now we are still under capacity. We can take on new schools right now and not change anything about our and, model. And the way the, the model works is that the schools subscribe to Correct. your services, and again, more information can be found at facebook.com, STEM Library Lab. Yep. Yeah, the biggest problem that you run into is people don't know what you do. Exactly. So like, they, wait, wait, what? they haven't heard of it. And you're oftentimes just by nature, a lot of people are reticent about new things. Right. So what we try to do is just invite people to literally walk through the door and see it. Um, and most people that, that take the journey are pleasantly surprised. I hope that in the future they won't be pleasantly surprised. They'll be expecting exactly what they see. Um, so that's the goal right now is just literally get more people through the door so we can get more equipment out into our schools. And so the next big push for you is just getting the word out into the community about what it is that you're doing. Would we? Would you be interested in coming in uh, in the future and maybe bringing in a couple of, uh, of things that we can, kind of experiments that we could do yeah, on air? Yeah, of course. Air? Are you cool with that? That's cool, I'm cool with yeah. that. Yeah, so why don't, why don't we kind of get a date on the book and have you just come in with a couple things that we could just sit down yeah. and kind of play with and just talk about live. I actually wanna have you in here and with Dr. Mackey so both of you can, so they can really talk about I think that'd where, be fun. Where, where it came, where everything came about. Right, we have a minute left. Eric, do you have any last words? Or? No. Good check it, figure it moving. Yeah. Get a mosquito. I'm and, and, mosquito. And, and show up on time next time, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to save my, my superlative for when we get off the air. Todd Wackerman, uh, who's executive director and founder of the STEM Library Lab, which is a nonprofit equipment share resource center that lends STEM materials and offers support services to teachers and schools. Their mission is to foster academic success by providing teachers and students with access to equipment and support for high-quality active learning. They are working to ensure that every student has the opportunity to discover their passion for STEM and pursue a brighter future. And as you guys heard, their uh, feedback from teachers uh, have been excellent. And uh, I can't uh, thank you enough, uh, Todd, for uh, for coming on and uh, and for doing uh, 37 push-ups, man. We'll you totally, we'll totally showed us, man. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. And uh, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next week. Uh, Doc Riggs, we'll see you very soon.